Welcome. It's Friday, uh, miserable weather in South Bend, Indiana, premature snow, but the uh, culture wars are heating up. Uh, we just had a major battle. Uh, it's, the article is being, has been posted at, uh, at the UNS Review about Kanye, turns, uh, the monologue, uh, turned anti-Semitism into a joke. This is a major body blow to the ADL. It was so bad that uh, all that uh, Jonathan Greenblatt could do after this was to whine and complain and say, we have to get together to fight hate. In other words, you Negroes have to get back on the plantation and do what you're told. Or as Dave Chappelle put it, put on your chain, nigga. Nothing epitomizes the state of neo-slavery among the black people better than the gold chain. The gold chain is a fashion accessory for every successful Negro out there. Dave Chappelle told the uh, story of uh, some rap concert where uh, Kanye shows up and he ridicules all those black men for wearing gold chains. He said, black millionaires, they wear, they wear gold chains, but I'm a black billionaire. And I don't have to wear no gold chain. Uh, I don't have to wear my money on my person. Well, uh, after last week, he lost about $1.5 billion in value uh, because he had the temerity to criticize Jews. This is the reason for the gold chain. This is what the gold chain means. Uh, uh, Dave Chappelle was clever, a great uh, monologue, uh, a rhetorical masterpiece in many ways because he had to show himself that he was loyal to the Democratic Party. Uh, what he was doing, I think, was being the mouthpiece for Obama, Barack Obama, uh, the de facto head of the Democratic Party now. Uh, Chappelle had been to White House uh, gatherings. He was a favorite entertainer of Barack Obama. Uh, and he was uh, part of the most successful revolutionary movement in the history of the United States of America, and that was known as the Black Jewish Alliance. It began, people have corrected me, it began uh, in 99 with the creation of the NAACP. It took on real force in 19, I believe it was 14, when uh, in the wake of the lynching of Leo Frank, when the Jews declared war on the South. Uh, that was the date on which the ADL was created. And uh, their big moment was uh, the civil rights movement, which was basically cultural warfare against the South that basically destroyed their culture. Just certainly destroyed the culture of segregation. That could have changed peacefully, but the Jews saw it as a revolutionary moment and they exploited it. That uh, alliance fell into desuetude in 1967 when um, Harold Cruz wrote his book, The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual. Uh, this was also uh, uh, brought about the rise of the neoconservative Jew. Uh, who was not uh, part of that liberal establishment that was always parading up and down uh, in Washington with the blacks. Uh, the man who articulated this best was Norman Pedaritz, wrote a seminal article in Commentary, the flag, the magazine of the American Jewish Committee. It came out in 1963, the year of the greatest triumph of the civil rights movement, which was the March on Washington. Uh, and it was called My Negro Problem and Ours. And he basically established the fact that all you uh, big Jews out there, you get to march with Martin Luther King, but we little Jews in places like Brooklyn, we get beat up on the street because uh, they are mad at us. Uh, there is no black Jewish alliance down here in the trenches. The proof of that was the uh, Harlem riots of 1937, uh, Fiorello LaGuardia, who was a Jew in spite of his Italian name, uh, tried to portray that as a black, a white conflict. It was a black Jewish conflict, largely because of the way the Jewish merchants treated blacks in their hardware stores and other stores in Harlem. The, uh, the greatest outburst, the greatest triumph of the black Jewish alliance was Black Lives Matter.
as I said in the article, it's like the light bulb that uh, goes really bright and then it burns out. That's what Black Lives Matter was for the Black Jewish Alliance. It seemed like the greatest moment of trying. This is now when Jonathan Greenblatt, he comes from the Democratic Party. He's making money hand over fist as a kind of bag man, perfected the idea of using the anti-Semitism card to go to big corporations, shake them down for money, then send that into NGOs that basically did the bidding of the Democratic Party. One of those NGOs was Black Lives Matter. There was an insurrection, a real serious uprising, uh, looting, burning, arson in cities uh, all across the country. And it was, in many ways, Jonathan Greenblatt's dream come true. The, the slaves had finally risen in a slave revolt. Uh, the NBA played a crucial part in all this. Uh, you couldn't watch an NBA game without listening to LeBron James bloviate about racism. They had, to, they had this Black Lives Matter written on the court, the basketball courts, and uh, this is the NBA. It's the greatest uh, propaganda machine that we have going for us. And what does Jonathan Greenblatt do? He blows it up with a really stupid move. Now, that may not be stupid, but to attack Kyrie Irving uh, for uh, recommending a movie, uh, uh, it seems like an insignificant thing, and I think maybe it was, because I think the real message here was they were scared to death because of what Kanye said a week before, uh, which is basically his Jewish trainer <laughs> was using drugs on him, his personal trainer, Harley Pasternak, who was the uh, A-list trainer for the A-list people in Hollywood, was ready to shoot him up with drugs and have him institutionalized if he didn't sit down and do what he was told. Put on your chain, nigga. That's the message. That's the message from the ADL. It's a gold chain, so don't complain. We'll give you lots of money, but you gotta be subservient to your Jewish masters. If you don't, we will punish you. And that's precisely what happened. And then there was pushback from Dave Chappelle. And then the whole thing blew up against the ADL. And now even Jews uh, are calling for the abolition of the, age, the, the ADL. They completely overplayed their hand. Jews always do this. They have no logos. They have no sense of logos. And logos invariably means a sense of limit. Uh, I know how far to go. I know if I go too far, that will be a bad idea. They don't have that sense because their whole existence is rebellion against Logos. As I said in my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. So now we have a whole new consciousness, uh, and I think we're able to deal with uh, uh, the situation, the situation as it exists, rather than the situation as they would like us to think about it. There's just too much information out there. I remember being part of a very uh, small group, a kind of feeling lonely 15 years ago when I wrote The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. <clears throat> and over these 15 years, I have been vindicated by the course of history. And if there were ever vindication of my position about the Black Jewish Alliance, about Jews using blacks as proxy warriors in their crusade to destroy America and remake it in their image, we just witnessed it last week. This is the only thing that's happening. The other side of the coin was the, uh, the Ben Shapiro attempt to take over the Right to Life movement. That's been exposed as well. So we have a lot, a significant lurch forward in uh, terms of uh, consciousness that happened this past week. There are all sorts of other events that are happening at the same time. I think they can only be explicated uh, in light of the ideas, concepts, and categories that we have discussed here. And I'm talking in particular uh, right now about this whole catastrophe with uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, which is just over the horizon. Uh, just as 140 uh, Jewish organizations came out and said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, now 180 Jewish organizations have come out and said that Twitter is an anti-Semitic platform and it needs to be shut down. And then within a day of the rabbis saying this, uh, the workforce walked out, or at least half of the workforce walked out of, 
Twitter headquarters. I it's it's a little early. I'm still working on this, but if you want my honest opinion, it's the same revolutionary forces at work here on a different front in the culture wars. And I think basically what we're seeing here is you lure Elon Musk into a trap. <clears throat> he buys Twitter uh, at, at a way overvalued price, $44 billion. And then you go after him and you tank that operation. Uh, you drive it down to its, uh, put it on the verge of bankruptcy, and then you swoop in and you buy up this depreciated asset at pennies on the dollar. I think that's what's going on. But let's hear from you now. What do you have to say? All right. Well, now we're going to go to um, the chat. Uh, for those who are new who don't know, uh, we have a Telegram. Uh, the the uh, Telegram link is in the description. Uh, we'll be taking calls from you uh, directly. Uh, and then just a quick quick note, um, try to keep on subject. Try to keep in one, to one question. Try to be respectful of time. And then don't forget to unmute yourself. People forget that sometimes. All right, guys. Let's see. Who would like to speak first? Questions. Ah, there we are. Uh, Warwick Hunt. All you. Floor is yours. Mr. Hunt. Hello. Hello. Hello, Dr. Hello, Dr. Jones. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm still a bit of a uh, technophobe sometimes when you're trying to do stuff. It's lovely to speak to you. Um, just two things I wanted to raise. I mean, I think it's a fantastic conversation. But since the last time you were on, something that has been playing on my mind, if you like, and that's the four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. You're going to have to repeat. I, I, I oh, think, you know, I, can, I make a, can I make a recommendation? Turn off, turn off your, yeah. turn off your video because the audio quality is not good okay. enough for me to understand what you're saying. Now, say just briefly, what's the question? Sorry, Dr. Jones, is that any better? It's not much better, but Hello. try again. Uh, okay, uh, the four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Yes. So what? I'm looking at it in the way the world is today. And I see that in, in, the, in, in your thinking, if you like, and just something that came to me was that the whole sins that cry to heaven, the vengeance, are to um, steal from the labourer, to defraud the labourer. But we're seeing that happening today with um, inflation and the way that usury works. Right. To oppress the poor. And the way we are, people in, in Britain now, they're making choices between whether they eat or heat. Yes. Willful murder. We're looking at further than... Than, uh, plan parent so and the last one suddenly right when we live in the world of global home it's like it's a game plan the four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance are the game plan of today's world right you're absolutely right that these are the four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance and uh, our opponents in the culture wars promote all four of them that should give you some indication of where they're coming from thank you all right, uh, we're gonna keep moving here. Let's see, uh, Israel L. Go ahead and unmute. Floor is yours. All right, can you hear me? All right. I can. Yes. Awesome. So, uh, pleasure to be on your show. Me, Michael Jones, big fan. Uh, I, I think the the last of the culture war is to take take down and uh, take control of Twitter. Like you say, I believe that that's their plan is to tank. Twitter, uh, but the same thing is happening in the money markets right now. Um, the Sam Bankman-Fried, Friedberg guy, uh, their plan is to regulate crypto and to, you know, completely change the stock market. And like you said, buy up, you know, these loose ends such as Twitter. I, I think this is all part of um, the plan to uh, hopefully overtake the BRICS nations with their new currency idea and, you know, completely take over the stock market as they uh, finish their ultimate plan. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think that's true. The the other thing, the other aspect of this uh, SBF, uh, R, what is it, RTX scandal, FTX, whatever it is, uh, is that it's also a money laundering operation for the Democratic Party. 
because so the uh, United States is sending military aid to the Ukraine. Some of it is actual money. Uh, apparently, Zelensky and his friends are were uh, sending that to FTX uh, to make uh, a lot magnif multiply it a lot more. Uh, but what um, the Mr. Free, uh, Freed, uh, whatever his name is, did is uh, made major contributions to the Democratic Party. So that's classic uh, money laundering. It goes from one pocket into the other pocket. But um, we may be we may we may be in a desperate uh, uh, situation. If you look at Germany, where uh, we, we've abandoned any type of long-term plan, and we're now engaging, we I think they've considered they're conceding that the war is lost in Europe, that we're losing the loyalty of the Europeans. And so they're going to go into a country instead of promoting their well-being. I think they're engaged in asset stripping uh, of the German people. Um, they, want the, they want German labor. <laughs> the source of German wealth is German labor. They have a very sophisticated workforce. If they tank the economy, if they cut off the energy, that means all of those employees in those companies will be unemployed. And the only place they'll be able to come to work is over here uh, in America. So I, I, think, I think that's what's going on. I think that uh, if, uh, as, as some indication, someone just uh, wrote to me and said something like, uh, are, you, are, you, are you never wrong? And the thing that they sent me was, an article about prostitution in Germany. This is exactly what I've been saying. The corruption of sexual morals is, is uh, well advanced in Germany. It's the whorehouse of Europe. They have uh, hundreds of, a, a million, over a million men using prostitution on a regular basis. 400,000 sex workers is what they call them. We call them prostitutes. And the net result of that is a completely uh, docile, populace that is now going to freeze to death in its apartments. So that's, that's the causality there. It's clear what's going on here. Let's pray that they wake up uh, before they all freeze to death. Okay. All right. Who's next? Who wants to ask Dr. Jones a question? I do not see any hands raised in the chat. There we are. Servium, 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 all yours. Don't forget to unmute. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. Hello. Um, yeah, I just have a question to ask you just regarding um, your book, Barrow Metal. Um, given that we, we have, I guess, uh, record inflation, uh, uh, peak debt, um, supply chain issues, where do you see, I guess, the in terms of the... Uh, world economic um, outlook. Where do you see that going? Uh, God bless. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, there will have to be there. So there will have to be a course correction to discharge uh, unrepayable debt. That is usually what happens at a certain point. It happens every 10 years when the debt load becomes unrepayable. There's there's a crisis. It collapses, and then what's supposed to happen is that the uh, inflated assets uh, get sold off at pennies for the dollar. And at that point, the, the, uh, the prices go down. What happens, unfortunately, is that you prop up bad loans. That is always, that is the job of the Secretary of Treasury, who invariably comes from some big Wall Street firm like Goldman Sachs. His job, this is exactly what Tim Geithner did uh, in 2008. The first thing you do is you make sure that the uh, bad loans are retained and that they get, they, get, they get paid off at full face value. This has always been the rotten deal that is part of America. It goes all the way back to the uh, revolutionary period when basically these uh, 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 people, bankers, bought up uh, the pensions of revolutionary war. Um, they, a revolution, the widows from the veterans of the revolutionary war they bought them up with paper uh, for pennies on the dollar, and then they turned around to Congress and demanded payment, full face value in gold. And it was so outrageous that it provoked a, a rebellion, the first rebellion against uh, Washington, uh, Shays' Rebellion, which was different than the Whiskey Rebellion because it, this is what it was about, this swindle. That is, nothing has ever changed. I, su I suspect a, a similar swindle is, is down the road. But the problem is that we are reaching the point where uh, this debt is unsustainable. It's too big. 
it's too big. And so the only way that they can, the only way they can really drive down the debt uh, is by inflation. So there'll be a, a deliberately caused inflation to drive down the debt. That will steal money from you so that you can preserve the, the overinflated assets of the people who control the economic system. So that's what I see happening over the horizon. Okay, who's next? Let's see. Anyone want to ask Dr. Jones a question? All you got to do is raise your hand. If you guys in Cozy want to jump in the chat, by all means, uh, the link is below in the description. Jump on in and ask a question. Ah, okay, here's one. Fly. Floor is yours, Mr. Fly. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I want to preference the question by saying I am a Catholic, but I was wondering if you would take some time to address the conspiracy theory that the Catholic Church and Jesuits are really the evil ones amongst us, and they're using uh, Jews as kind of a patsy. Well, they are the, well, they, they are the they, evil ones, but the Jews are using them as the patsy. You got it backwards there. Uh, the Jews are using the Jesuits right now. The Jesuits are a fifth column within the Catholic Church. The man controlling the Jesuits is uh, George Soros. He gives them lots of money. Uh, and they are basically pursuing the uh, oligarchic agenda in the Catholic Church. Uh, this, this is the problem. We have a situation where uh, it's the same situation throughout the world. You name the institution, it's the same problem. So you got people who are in the institution. I just talked to a, a friend who's an FBI agent. The agents all have a sense of this is right, this is wrong, this is the, they're the criminals. And what's at the top? You have Christopher Wray making a speech to the ADL, swearing allegiance to the ADL, saying that they're going to fight hate speech. This is one institution. The big, one of the biggest problems, we, the biggest problems we, we have right now is Jewish law enforcement. Uh, to show you that I'm not uh, alone in thinking this, the legislature of the state of Pennsylvania has just indicted or uh, indicted. They are they impeached Larry Krasner, the DA, uh, the Soros uh, prosecutor from Philadelphia. Across the board, we have the same problem. I have a, a meeting with Notre Dame students. This is the Notre Dame chapter of the Nicodemus Society, uh, which is uh, they meet with E. Michael Jones at night out of fear of the Jews. And what are they telling me? It's the same situation. The Notre Dame students uh, think the institution should be Catholic, and the people at the top are promoting the Soros agenda, the oligarchic agenda, specifically uh, sodomy and now transgenderism. And now it's gotten even worse at Notre Dame. There's a, a debate between the college Democrats and the college Republicans. I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty safe, pretty tame. You know, keeps these kids occupied. Uh, the, both parties have their problems, but so we'll go through the motions. Well, it quickly degenerated into uh, the head of the Democrat, uh, 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 Notre Dame Democrats, accusing the other guy, the Republican, of anti-Semitism. I mean, this went from zero to 60 in about three seconds because the, the Republican had the temerity to talk about abortion. Well, what have I been telling you? Abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. If you are anti-abortion, you're an anti-Semite. I said it before, everybody thinks I'm crazy when I say things like this, and then it happens, exactly that happens on the Notre Dame campus, where the Jew is now calling the Catholic, at what calls itself a Catholic university, an anti-Semite because he's defending the church's teaching on abortion. And then on top of that, they want this guy expelled. Or he, they want him to have uh, brainwashing uh, imposed on him, whatever it all, sensitivity training, whatever they call it there. Because at this point, you cannot defend the Catholic position at Notre Dame. It used to be uh, 40 years ago, oh, we're going to be pluralist. We want to hear both sides, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's, that's long past now. Either you do what the Jew wants 
or you're going to be expelled from a, a Catholic who goes along with Catholic teaching is going to be expelled from the University of Notre Dame. As Father Hesburgh said, I've said it many times before, if you let the Jews in, they take over, and this is precisely what happened to Notre Dame University, and the man who's responsible for it was Father Hesburgh himself. I know because I knew the Jew. It was Sam Shapiro, my neighbor, who told me the whole story of how this happened and what he was supposed to do. So don't pretend that I don't know, that we don't know what's going on. It's across the board the same problem. Okay, all right. Thank you, Fly. Uh, who is next? Let's see. I'm going to butcher this. Vargera Wave? Vargera Wave? You know who you are. Go ahead, floor is yours. Don't forget to unmute. Vajura wave. No? Go once. You guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basic question. Um, you know, you, you've really opened my eyes to to really the 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 basic um, problem with with this sort of nepotism going on with these sort of it seems Jewish families and whatnot that are in the highest positions uh, of power uh, uh, across across the board. It, so it seems. Um, my, I mean, my question is. Um, you know, you always hear things like it's not all Jews. It's not all Jews, which I agree with. It isn't all Jews. Right. But to my, so the question is, it's like, are these familial, are these people all sort of distant, distantly related? If you were to sort of look in their uh, ancestry, I mean, I know you don't know for certain, but if you had to like intuitively guess, is there a sort of familial connection amongst all these sort of elites? Um, or the people that sort of rise up in these these high positions, um, you know, because I have met a lot of Jews that are anti-abortion. You know, they're more of the religious type. I haven't met many secular types, of course, but I, I have seen and, and, and listened to quite a few um, Jews that are against abortion. You know, um, Dave Shapiro's yeah. uh, or Ben Shapiro, rather, is a good example. Right, right. Um, it's, so, it's, this, so, yeah, is, just, this is a fundamental category problem that we you always have. Dave Chappelle brought it up. He says there are two words you never say together, the and Jews. Well, what's he? what is he saying? So you're right. It's not all Jews. It's the Jews. It's hoi judeoi. This is the way St. John dealt mm, with it in his gospel. Now, what do I mean? What do I mean? But I, I've mentioned it before about... Uh, the time of Jesus Christ. The, when you say, did the, did the Jews call for Christ's crucifixion? Of course they did. Does that, uh, does that mean every Jew in Jerusalem cried out, crucify him? Did the Blessed Mother cry out, crucify him? She was a Jew. No, of course not. So what do I mean by the Jews? I'm talking about the Jewish people as an organized political unit. That's what it was then. It was called the Sanhedrin back then. They were the rulers. They were the major Jewish organization. And they whipped the crowd up into a frenzy of fear and phobia, anger. And the crowd called, crucify him. That's the way it is today, except it's not the Sanhedrin. It's major Jewish organizations like the ADL, like IPAC, who use fear tactics to basically mobilize the Jews against, against their enemies. Every The big Jews... I'm talking about Jonathan Greenblatt, used the little Jews as human shields to advance their agenda. That's, that's what we're seeing right now. And one of the, the other side of the coin, the, the Republican Jews or the conservative Jews, have written articles saying, you know, you got to get rid of it. The ADL has to go. You have to have that fundamental understanding of what we mean by the Jews, because otherwise it's never, it, it, it completely disappears. There's no category. As soon as you say the Jews, oh, that's anti-Semitism. So they say, well, name, well, name, name one of these Jews. So I say, okay, uh, Trotsky. Well, he's not really a Jew. Well, wait a minute. It's it's heads I win, uh, heads you win, tails I lose. I, I lose no matter what I say here. That's the problem. 
That is precisely the problem. So there are Jews, there are Jews right into uh, culture wars. Yehudel Littman writes in, he says, I'm a better Jew because I, I read culture wars. There's a Jew who just wrote to me and said, I converted to Catholicism because of reading the Jewish revolutionary spirit. This is the type of, I'm saying Logos is rising. This is the type of change that is taking place right now. I had a whole group of Israelis I talked to uh, in a, a podcast. They want to talk to me again about the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Logos is rising. Have you talked to many Pardon me? Have you talked to many rabbis, many religious leaders in Judaism? Because what? the ones I've talked to are are very quote unquote conservative conservative and you know anti-abortion, etc. It's a, it's a, it's a look. One of the uh, Rabbi Sam Dresner was one of my biggest fans, and whenever he would come across the Catholic, he'd kind of tell him that they had a duty to subscribe to Culture Wars magazine. Uh, that was a rabbi. That was a rabbi. We had a meeting of the minds. He's dead now, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I across the board, there is always going to be some Nicodemus out there who comes to you by night and is converted by the power of Logos. It's, it's happening right now. Logos is rising. That whole Kanye, Dave Chappelle thing is an example of this. We are now saying things. We are hearing things in the mainstream that we were afraid to say in whispers. Even more than that, we were afraid to think the thought. And now it's being spoken publicly. Now it's being shouted from the housetops. That's, that's Logos rising. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, Bo Booma Wolf. Mr. Wolf, your turn to speak. Hello. Hello. You mentioned in your opener something about the right to life movement getting um, infiltrated. Did I get that right or did I miss yeah, here? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, wait, could you talk more? But like, what do you mean the right to life movement? Like, well, I, look, I, I, I've mentioned this before. I have an article coming out with uh, in detail, but uh, right to life news. OK, right to life operation from Canada talks. That's right to life oh, news. Oh, okay. OK, so, I'm, I, you know, I look at it every now and then. Suddenly there's this article that says in order to be pro-life, we have to fight anti-Semitism. Well, wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. That doesn't make. So I write, if you fight anti-Semitism, you are promoting Jewish power. If you're promoting Jewish power, you are promoting abortion because that's their sacrament. So Right to Life News is promoting abortion. Well, it got taken down within seconds. You know, they wouldn't let me say that. But it's true. It's true. There, there, there's something out there that in order to be a right to life organization, in order to get your license, you have to come to the Jews and say, I will uh, fight anti-Semitism. Well, that's a losing mm -hmm. battle. If you fight anti-Semitism, you're promoting abortion. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying if you, if you restrict abortion, you're anti-Semitic. They're saying exactly the same thing that I'm saying. I wish the right to lifers would wake up to this. Now, that's not the only instance. You have a guy like... Representative Chris Smith from New Jersey. He's been the, he's a uh, House of Representatives, longest standing member in the House of Representatives. He's been there for 40 years and he worked out a great okay. deal here. He's Mr. Pro-Life. Uh, when he puts that hat, he puts the pro-life pro hat on and then he takes that off and then he's Mr. ADL. I'm not saying just he's a flaming supporter of the ADL. They give him a one award after another. I'm saying this is completely contradictory. Yeah. You can't support the ADL and not be, if you support the ADL, you're supporting abortion. You can't be pro-life and support the ADL. You've got to make up your mind. I think Representative Chris uh, feels that he can do this and pretend that nobody's going to notice but this is precisely the type of counterproductive behavior that I'm talking about. Add to that the whole Catholic Church, uh, say, quoting uh, Nostra Tate, we oppose all forms of anti-Semitism. Well, the Jews jump on that and say, well, you have to be pro-abortion. This is exactly what happened at Notre Dame. It happened last week at Notre Dame. We've got to clarify this issue. You can't, they are saying, if you are pro-life, 
you are anti-Semitic. That is absolutely true. That's true. You can't serve two masters here, and the Right to Life movement (laughs) is going to have to wake up to the fact, because as I told Ben Shapiro when he was here, these cases are now moving through the courts where the Jews are saying, I have to, we have to have abortion because otherwise you're imposing your religion on me. No, that's exact opposite. The Jews are imposed their religion on us with Roe versus Wade. Bravo, bravo, for, bravo for that, by the way, when you, when you, when you showed up, Shapiro. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, dude. Yeah, thank you, Michael Jones, for always standing up for the babies. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for talking. Thank you. Yeah, it, was pleasure, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. Thank, thank you, Mr. Wolf. All right. Continuing here. We'll do a couple more here, and then we'll jump to questions from the chats. Uh, let's see. Who was it? I think it was Lobster to You with Pepe. Don't forget to unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, hey, doctor, I'd like to ask, uh, to ask some questions about the uh, flat earth and space. I want to ask you your takes on that and whatnot. Flat earth is a completely preposterous theory, completely preposterous. I'll give you the explanation for flat earth. It is to distract our attention from geocentrism, which is a completely legitimate theory. I've, I've Bob. I did a conference here with Bob Sungenis. He's written a book on geocentrism, a very persuasive book. It's called Galileo is Wrong, and short, a lot of big, you know, reporters from mainstream outlets were there for the talk. Thought they could bait him. Thought they could make a fool out of him. No, it's it's a perfectly legitimate point of view, and I think that flat Earth was created by the CIA. I don't know whether the CIA created. Say a flat Earth was created by the CIA to distract attention from geocentrism. I do know that the CIA is now involved in promoting uh, unidentified flying object propaganda. So why not Flat Earth? No, Flat Earth is completely preposterous. Okay, but uh, what about the firmament? Uh, the firmament, what do you think about that? The firmament turns around the Earth. It's perfect. This is precisely when you learn to be a uh, navigate on the open seas. This is precisely what you do. You watch the firmament turn around the Earth. It's exactly the same type of calculations that you would make if the Earth, if the Sun goes around the the Earth, the Earth goes around the Sun, the Sun goes around the Earth. You do calculations based on watching the firmament turn above you. So it's it's empirically demonstrable. Okay, thank you. That's all the questions. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, uh, next I think. Uh, what was it? Lanka G? Lanka G? Something like that? Lanka G? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Can you hear I me? I can. I can. Hey, I, this is, uh, uh, I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm very grateful to you. I came across your work maybe in 2019 and have been reading and following you. And uh, I, I grew up high church Episcopalian, but uh, you have been a big factor in my conversion to Catholicism. And I'll be confirmed uh, on Tuesday of this coming well, week. Pray, so praise the I'm Lord. Really grateful. Praise, praise the Lord. That's good news. And, and thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for sharing with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. God bless you. All right. That was, that was great. That was nice. Just to, just to thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, who was it? I think I think it was Charles Otto. Charles, was it Charles Otto William Wade? All you... Don't forget to unmute. Hello, am I clear? Hello. Right, well, thank you. First of all, uh, I want to echo what everyone else is saying. You know, uh, I'm a great admirer of yours, Dr. Jones. And uh, what I wanted to ask is I'm a, I like you, uh, I, I'm Irish. I'm living there. Uh, I have an Anglo background as well. But uh, what I wanted to ask is uh, what do you think it is about the Irish psyche that has has made it, you know, cook so hard in the last 30 years, you know, because you go back to the 90s, you know, homosexuality was illegal before the year 1993, I believe. Divorce was illegal before 97, you know. I think we held out longer than most other regions of Western Europe. So what what do you think, what, what do you think happened there, really? Because, you know, 
We seem to hold on longer than everyone yes. else, but then cook harder and faster than the rest of yeah. you know Western Europe. Is it is it the is it the Catholicism aspect to it, or is it something else as well? I think the, I think the, uh, James Joyce said that the Irish were a priest-ridden people, uh, and there may be uh, an element of truth to that in the sense that you uh, you. You depended too much upon upon the priest. We all depend upon priests, okay? But it, you don't have to depend. You depend upon them for the sacraments. You don't necessarily have to defer to them when it comes to intellectual matters. And one of the great things about America, and I'm talking about Germany here as well, is that the the lay people took these things upon themselves and decided they were going they were going to do something. So the great blow in Ireland was the uh, priest pedophile crisis which was cooked up uh, first in Boston, which has a, a large Irish population, and then shipped over to Ireland. And then it, the media just ran with it. The media hate the Irish people. Uh, they're there to control the Irish people. And so they would have stories about, you know, oh, they, we, we discovered a, a, a boarding school and there were bones there. Uh, and it was obviously nuns killing babies. All this ridiculous type of stuff. The Irish were simply weren't, they weren't up to speed. The church is still not up to speed when it comes to state-of-the-art psychological warfare. And they didn't quite understand that you got a base where uh, they've never had a great manufacturing base. They were held down by the English. They almost starved to death because all they had were potatoes living on uh, the, Lord, the, the land of the landlord. And so when Google comes along and says, well, we'd like to relocate, uh, or the pharmaceutical company comes along, they say, sure, sure. And they let the Trojan horse into their country. And Google was the Trojan horse. We now know that uh, there are Israelis from that, uh, what is that, uh, Block 2800 or some Section 2800, which is the Israeli psychological, computer psychological warfare operation. They work for Google. They've got all these positions in Google. Google has been weaponized. It's a form of warfare. Well, who knew that? The Irish didn't know it, and so they were taken aback, and then you've got the same sort of Jewish manipulation of your passions, okay? So you've got a Catholic culture where people are taught to love their neighbor, and so you've got these clever Jews who know, I know, we'll, we'll talk about discrimination against homosexuals. These are the least of my brothers. Whatever you did to the least of my brothers, well, that's ridiculous. They have a higher income than certainly I do. You know, they have a higher than average income and so on and so forth. I don't know whether there are a lot of them, but they play on people's sympathies, their Catholic sympathies, and then they get them to vote, and then they play on the, uh, the rest of it. They got them involved in abortion, and suddenly, wait a minute, they took over your culture and you didn't even know how they did it. It was a stealth campaign. And now, as I said, I'm talking to Gemma O'Doherty is facing this right now. I've been on her podcast many times. The Irish have just instituted an absolutely draconian hate speech law where they have the right to bust into your house with no warrant, take your computer, and then throw you in jail if they don't like what you said on your, on your computer or on your, uh, on your podcast. What I'm saying here is the Irish need to wake up. This is the iron fist of political control inside the velvet glove of sexual liberation. And the Irish fell for it, and now they've got to wake up before it's too late. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is it's easy for you to wake up. The Catholic Church is still in Ireland. You can go back to church. It's right around the corner. You know where it is. You can go to confession. You can confess your sins, and you can be back in the game because now we have the consciousness of what is really going on there. That's uh, So you can bounce back. It's, I've said it before, but it's a much simpler situation than, uh, let's say, Iran which is facing the same type of cultural warfare. There's a CIA coup basically going on there to get the women to take off their jobs. Uh, it's much more complicated there. It's easy for the Irish. Certainly, yeah. I do think that there, there, there's a good framework there. And it's just, it, it breaks my heart to see, because I, I think I never got to see much of it. I'm only, what, 19, turning 20, I think, in a couple of months. So I think I never got to see kind of just the... Uh, 
you know how how you know how this you know this beautiful island of ours was once known as the island of saints and right. scholars and i never i i never even got to see the last gasps of that so it does break my heart but i do know that that at the very least on a personal level like i'm hoping to start the i was baptized catholic of course my par- my parents themselves are secular but i'm hoping to start the rcia process uh, as soon as i can but uh, certainly I, I do think that the uh, the start of the solution lies on an individual level you know you but uh, i I, th- I thank you for that very comprehensive you. answer thank, thank you for sharing with us thank you for sharing with us thank you Okay, so we got a little bit of time left here, so we're going to jump to uh, the chat here uh, via Telegram as well as Cozy. I'll read off a couple from Telegram, then we'll finish up with a bunch of questions in the Cozy chat. All right, here we go. We'll try to run through these quick. Uh, I, have a doc- I have a question for Dr. Jones. Your observation that the new criticism was sole scriptura and a fundamentally Protestant moan and a mode of interpretation blew my mind. Obviously, a reader response slash deconstructionism slash postmodernism or Talmudic. Is there a Catholic mode of literary analysis? Can you point to any leaders of such a movement? Also, he's very excited for the upcoming Holocaust book. Yeah, what is what would Catholic what would Catholic literary criticism be? Uh, read culture wars. <laughs> I do it. Uh, I'm the guy who uh, it's it's Historical Thomism. It's basically you can't. This is the whole. I deal with this in detail in the Beauty Book, The Dangers of Beauty. That the new criticism had this fatal flaw. It was formalism, you know. And formalism, you always come up with the same answer. You have to connect it with life. This is the gist of art. Art is imitation of nature. If art loses its connection with life or nature, it becomes sterile and formalistic. And so you've got to connect this literary criticism with actual life. And by this, I mean, let's say, the life of the author that you're studying. This is what I did with Degenerate Modern. my first step in that direction, where I said, basically, you can't understand uh, the, the uh, intellectual life without understanding the moral life. And you have two choices. Either you subordinate your your desires to the truth or you subordinate the truth to your desires. If you subordinate the truth to your desires, then the most important thing about you is your biography because that's the only way we're going to understand what you're doing. And that was the type of literary criticism I got involved in, you know, degenerate modern. I followed it up by Dionysus Rising. It's all in The Dangers of Beauty where you can figure that out. You know, you, you will see it. This is Catholic literary criticism. It's Catholic aesthetics. It's something that no one has ever done before, not even Etienne Gilson, because he wasn't a, a, a Thomist when it came to uh, aesthetics. That's, that's, that's my best recommendation at this point. Okay, next from, uh, from the Cozy Chat from uh, a Diane Jane. Keeps on asking, uh, why are Jews lazy, Dr. Jones? Are Jews lazy? Why are they? Is this true? Say that again. Why are Jews lazy? Jews are lazy. Are be- Jews lazy? And, and if, the, if so, why? <laughs> because, they don't, because they think that work is uh, beneath their dignity. Because, uh, all right, the short answer, the short answer is usury. Every Jew in Europe at the time of the Middle Ages, when usury was illegal, every Jew was in some sense involved in usury because they were a small community and the big movers and shakers were all involved in usury and they were working for them in one way or the other. You know, I mean, Tevye had a farm. Okay, he's the exception. He's got milk. He's got to sell it to people. This is all a community that's based on usury. And usury is the opposite of labor, as I pointed out in my book, Barren Metal. And how do I know that? Because Shylock told me. He's in The Merchant of Venice, the main character of Merchant of Venice, and he said, my ducats can copulate faster than Laban's ewes and rams. So if your ducats can copulate, you don't need to work. Let your ducats work for you. And so basically, what, do you, what does the Jew do? The paradigmatic Jew would be Meyer Amschel Rothschild. He sits behind his counter and counts, takes the money in, and he moves it from one part to the other. If you go to Dante, 
the uh, ninth circle of hell has sodomites and usurers in the same circle in hell. Why is that? Because the Jew takes the sodomite, takes what is fertile, namely sex, and makes it sterile, and the user takes what is sterile, namely money, and makes it fertile through copulation, through uh, compound interest. That's, that's, uh, so the Jew, uh, the sodomite, is walking across a burning desert. Every time he puts his foot down, he burns his foot, and he's in constant motion and torment. The user, on the other hand, is sits, and he's totally immobile with a bag of gold hanging around his neck. This is symbolic of the fact that these people don't work and they let their, their ducats copulate for them and they don't need to work because they have uh, usury and compound interest. Okay, now you know why they're lazy. Uh, here we go, keep going here. From Jakey in uh, Telegram, EMJ, what are your thoughts on the writer Robert Bolt? This is the man that did A Man for All Seasons, and uh, I don't have any thoughts on Robert Bolt. Great, great play, obviously a great play, great movie. Uh, but uh, on Robert Bolt himself, I'm, I plead ignorance. I can't give you a biographical analysis because I know nothing about him. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. We'll do a couple more here. Does anyone in Cozy have uh, some questions? If you at me in there, I think I think I can see it, and then I'll answer your guys' questions. Okay, here we go. Anything in Telegram? Let's see. Let's see. Uh, uh, state. Okay. Uh, I here's here's one from a mic. I gotta say before I ask this question, the conversation in Ireland is tragic, but it's more uplifting and inspiring for the future. Question: <clears throat> Would bringing practices from the TLM, such as dressing nicely, bowing to the cross, and priest dressing, or priest during Bound across during uh, during procession, set a good example, and get people to follow along because it stands out. All right, uh, I am going to say. Do you see this? See this jacket? This is a Harris Tweed jacket. Everybody should have a Harris Tweed jacket because they're absolutely great. It's great cloth. My grandfather uh, would always wear. My Irish grandfather always wore a suit. Uh, the Irish at a, of a certain generation all wore this type of clothing. I remember in the 70s going to Ireland and there were people, there was, I remember a guy with a jackhammer digging up the street and he was wearing a Harris Tweed jacket because it's great, great piece of clothing. This type of clothing uh, is an indication that you take yourself seriously. The antithesis of this uh, was just visible. There's a man uh, interviewing Kanye West, uh, or is it Kyrie, well, anyway, but he's a black guy Okay, he's got his baseball hat turned around backwards. He's got a big gold chain around his neck, which I've already talked about. And he's got a shirt, and the shirt, T-shirt, says Gucci. <laughs> this is not serious. This is, this is precisely the problem with the, the black population. The, the, the one group, uh, black group that got it is the Nation of Islam, because they always are sharp dressers. They even wear bow ties. You know, those black guys standing out in the streets selling uh, Muhammad Speaks or something like that in Chicago, they're all dressed well. This is a step in the right direction for the Irish. So throw away your sports wear. Throw away your Gucci shirt. Put your baseball hat on right side or turn it around. But uh, more importantly, start dressing as if you take yourself seriously. I mean, this is the, the Harris Tweed is meant for Ireland. It's the, perfect, it's the perfect jacket for Ireland because it keeps you warm. It doesn't get all that cold there. It's kind of warm. It, it, I, it's the perfect jacket. It's wool. The Irish should go back to cultivating ethnic clothing. Of the, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, ethnic clothing as it existed in the 20th century when my grandfather learned how to dress. This is not the only place where this is crucial. The place where it's even more crucial now than Ireland is Africa, and I'm talking specifically about East Africa, and the problem of mitumba, the Swahili word for used clothing. I've written a whole article about uh, how mitumba is wrecking the economy, uh, I'm, a whole article about, let's go back to some form of ethnic clothing. The best example I can give of this is the Catholic schools I went to where all of these black kids in Kenya are all wearing Catholic school uniforms, and they look great. 
they look great. They look as if they're people you should take seriously. I gave a talk at Strathmore Academy. It's the Opus, Opus Dei Academy in, uh, in Nairobi. And it was uh, a whole auditorium full of black teenagers all wearing gray slacks and blue blazers. They look like, like a million bucks. This is a type of uh, self-respect and aesthetic understanding of the meaning of clothing that Catholics have to regain. The worst examples I've found are in places like New Jersey where, you know, a lady, Catholic lady, shows up uh, in a pink bathrobe at mass with, with fuzzy pink slippers. Are you kidding me, honey? Do you want to be taken seriously? Try walking into Blackrock uh, or Manhattan. See, see the way the security guard treats you when you walk into Blackrock. And are you saying that the mass isn't more important than going to Blackrock? People have to wake up to this. They've, they've been, uh, they've, this is cultural warfare. Uh, one of the manifestations that you're a conquered person is the clothes you wear. Okay, we'll continue here with Cozy. We'll do a couple more questions. We're at the top of the hour, but I think we're, I think we got some time for a couple more. <clears throat> some from Map Monday. Uh, Dr. Jones, do you believe in physiognomy? Seems like there's another question. Is postmodern art valid? Those are the two questions. Is postmodern art valid? Yes. Also, do you believe in physiognomy? You mean, do you mean? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Do you mean that there is a certain structure to the face? Yes, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, that, that, what's that? that, is, that do, I, do I mean you can understand the personality by feeling bumps on your on your skull? I, no, I don't I believe, believe so. It. I, believe I don't believe in any. The 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 the, uh, the face is the most important part of the human body because it mirrors the soul more effectively than any other part of the body. Uh, the eyes are the windows to the soul. This was the uh, a great achievement of Italian art, being, getting, being able to capture not just the face, but the soul as manifested in the face. So that's, read the dangers of beauty. That's what uh, uh, Federico Borromeo was talking about with the, when he tried to save uh, Catholic art from the iconoclasts and the pornographers. Uh, back to, so where are we? Well, I got lost here. Where are we now? Is, did I answer the question? Oh, yeah, physiognomy? That was, yeah, that, and then there was like, is postmodern art valid? I don't know what you mean by postmodern art. Yeah, I know what post postmodern architecture is. I can give you clear examples of that. Uh, Frank Gehry uh, is a Jewish architect who was at war with Logos. Uh, just look at it. Look at the uh, whatever it is, the the Jimi Hendrix Museum in Seattle. It looks like three trash bags waiting to be picked up by the sidewalk. I go into that in great detail in uh, The Dangers of Beauty. Okay, from Cozy, user 71811. Thoughts on Justin Trudeau bringing in half a million immigrants per year over three years into Canada? What's Justin doing with half a million a year? What, what, what you have is Justin Trudeau is a creation of Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab said this. He, he named the list for uh, Macron. These are all people who hate the people they represent. They hate the countries that they represent. And they're there uh, as willing accomplices of the oligarchs to basically destroy their countries uh, and turn them into plantations where the people have no rights whatsoever. And they do that by unlimited uh, immigration. Uh, unlimited immigration means basically the ethnic cleansing of the native population. Ireland is being subjected to this right now. And the Irish people are being demonized because they want to preserve their country. You're not Christian enough. This is, again, the pathetic Germans. The Germans who were the descendants of the Holy Roman Empire, they have this kind of Catholic soul, uh, and then they get involved in sexual liberation, and now the zeal uh, that they got from their Catholic religion gets misapplied to something like green politics and doing the bidding of Jewish oligarchs. Annalena Baerbock is the classic example of what I'm talking about. The classic example who thinks it's virtuous behavior to destroy the German people. There's something we, we, just, we just have to get over this. We have to get over We have to get this Catholic uh, piety only... Me has meaning within the confines of the Catholic Church. 
If you take these feelings outside of the Catholic Church, they become revolutionary, self-destructive doctrines that will destroy your culture. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do what? It's uh, it's it's six oh seven. What do you think? Uh, one or two more? Two more. Two more. All right. Uh, here is one, and I'll try to find a really good one. Um, was the Nazi from from beyond coincidence? Uh, was was the oh wait this? Well, maybe we'll ask it. Okay. Was the Nazi system of money uh, the best ever used? Uh, if you read my book Baron Metal, you will realize that the Germans, okay, they were crushed after World War I. They were saddled with reparation payments, which they could not make. Uh, but they had a genius that helped them get out of this mess, and the man's name was Hjalmar Schacht, one of the great gen economic geniuses of all time. And so basically he solved the problem in Germany by creating a, uh, that inflation that everybody talks about, you know, where they have wheelbarrows full of banknotes uh, and they're burning them to keep themselves warm. That solved the debt problem, okay? That's how you get out of debt. You have an, an, uh, uh, an inflation, you inflate your way out. It's classic way. At this point, he retired and then Hitler came to power and Hitler brought him back because he understood what a genius he was. And this time he resurrected the economy, the German economy for a second time. This time without any gold backing whatsoever because the the American, uh, the Bank of England and the Fed would not give him any money, so, uh, so he basically not lend him any money. So he cr basically created, saved the German economy simply by banking on German labor. He knew they had a very sophisticated workforce. He knew that labor is the source of all value, or he knew that he, money was in effect credit on future labor guaranteed by the sovereign. And he put, if you pardon the expression, he put his money where his mouth was. And he saved the German economy, pumped money into the economy because he knew of the power of German labor and he would recover that money with what they created. So they created the Autobahn and uh, a lot of published work. He, Halmar Schacht drew Germany out of the depression. If you go to the United States of America, you have a, a complete cipher uh, by the name of Henry Morgenthau, who was the Secretary of Treasury, whose only qualification for the job was being able to lick boots, lick the boots of Franklin Delano Roosevelt with a smile on his face. He showed his true colors after the war when he tried to impose the Morgenthau plan on uh, Germany, the long arm of Jewish vengeance. What he did not do, and Roosevelt did not do, they did not have the courage of their conviction. They did not solve the, uh, they did not uh, uh, solve the problem of the Depression. It was only the war that, uh, where the government finally started producing things, pr producing money to produce things, paying the industrial complex, Henry Ford, people like that, to produce weapons that basically dra dragged the uh, uh, America out of the Depression. Okay, good question. Last, last one here. Um, someone's been spamming it in, in all caps, and you caught my attention. So, vaccine deaths. Are we ever going to see justice on vaccine deaths involving time in jail or anything like that? Only, that only if the regime gets overthrown. This is similar to uh, the situation in East Germany, where they had the, the Stasi, the Staatssicherheitsdienst, I think that's what it was. Uh, Nobody knew what the Stasi was doing. Nobody really uh, had any documentation. But when the regime fell, suddenly they opened the Stasi archives. So you've got a, an alien uh, occupying force here, uh, symbolized by Dr. Fauci, that is so deeply intertwined with the regime that it, 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 they can only be brought to justice if this regime, regime is toppled in some way or another. Uh, I just hope it's a peaceful, a peaceful transition. But under these this conditions now, no, it's not going to happen. They will never be brought to justice under this system. We have the problem, main problem we have right now is Jewish law enforcement, which means they punish their enemies and they let their friends do whatever they want. That's Merrick Garland. That's Larry Krasner. That's the biggest issue facing this country. And believe me, these people are not going to go after the big Jew Borla the head of Pfizer. I guarantee you that. It's not going to happen. 
Okay, uh, I guess, uh, let's see, do I have any announcements? I guess I don't really have any. Yes, last week were the big announcements. Um, yeah, so for those who join up later, this is EMJ Live. We do this every Friday at 5. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll be posting this uh, 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 in our, um, what is it? I'm, I'm going to post all of our videos for these uh, from now on up to our bit shoot and our gab, uh, as well as on our Telegram and what have you. Just let you guys know. Um, let's see. Yeah, I got nothing. What do you, what do you got, Dr. Jones? Any, any last Thank words? you. Great, great conversation once again. This is how Logos rises. We have conversations where we can speak honestly with each other, and suddenly we understand better what's going on. And because we understand what's going on, the oligarchs can't push us around anymore. This is the consciousness that's rising across the board. We're suddenly realizing we've got a narrow group of oligarchic tyrants whether it's the Catholic Church, whether it's the FBI, whatever it is, medicine, and the consciousness is going to overthrow this regime sooner or later because Logos always wins in the end. Thank you. Thank you for being with me. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. God bless.